0: series of messages, and they were primarily directed at giving us a maybe a better understanding or just maybe sharpening our um, mind on uh, some of the foundational things that we believe is primitive Baptist. And I mentioned to you last week that uh, one of the things that kind of um, spurred me on to do this was talking to the young man who uh, was dating uh, a young lady. and uh at some they were very serious in their relationship and then the subject of doctrine came up uh she was not a primitive baptist and even though he had been brought up in the primitive baptist church he realized he was not equipped to discuss that in her discuss that with her without her uh without him becoming frustrated and um and feeling inadequate in doing that and I thought, based on what he was telling me, how important it is that when we encounter people in our lives, whether it's in a uh, dating relationship, because you know, chances are you are going to find yourself, you young people, uh, there's a very good chance you're gonna find yourself interested in dating someone that maybe doesn't understand or, or believe what we believe, and we need to be well-equipped to discuss that with them uh, or it could be simply a coworker who has uh, taken interest in, in what we believe, and they've got a lot of questions. We, we, no matter what stage of life you're in, we need to be able to um, defend it well. And, uh, and so it was somewhat alarming to me to hear that brother say that I had been raised in a primitive Baptist church all my life, but I just didn't feel like I really knew why I believed what I believed. And what he was saying was, I believe what I believe because I've always been taught that. And unfortunately, that is not good enough. We need to be able to go to God's word. And so in this series of messages, I wanted to go back and go through some of those things and teach us and remind us um, how to discuss what we believe and where to start with that. And where I started last week was when, when you're discussing something like this with someone to me, step one is that you have got to be on the same page when it comes to the authority of God's Word. If one of you believes that God's Word is the authority and one of you believes that there are errors and it's mostly true but not fully true, uh, there's really no point in going any further. Uh, because you have to agree that God's Word is the authority and we will let God's Word be the ultimate Uh, decider on what we're going to submit to as far as beliefs go and so that's very important I won't rehash all that but to me that's step one and really if you want to go back and one day I probably will you want to go back even another step we got to talk about what Bible are you reading because two people can say yeah I agree that God's word is the authority be reading two totally different Bibles and it's going to be very difficult to get on the same page on certain things so the authority of God's word. To me, the next thing, once we come to an agreement that God's word is the authority, the next thing that we have to come into an agreement with is that God is a sovereign God. Now, this is where it gets a little tricky, and this is where you are going to find resistance, because Most everybody will agree that expresses any sort of uh, religious devotion. Most all of them, if you ask them, do you believe that God is sovereign, they are going to say yes. But when you look in the Bible at what that really means, and as you begin to um, peel back the layers of what it means to be sovereign, you will find as they found in the word of God, that people do not take very well to a sovereign God. Um, Most people will tell you that to be sovereign means that you are controlling everything. That is not true. To be sovereign means you can control everything. It means that you can do what you want to do and nobody can stop you. You are the ultimate authority. Now, whether you exercise that authority to control something is case by case. So to be sovereign means that you do as you please. Okay, we need to understand that. And so in discussing that, hey, do we agree that God's word is the authority? Yes. Do we agree that God is a sovereign God? Well, let's look a little bit closer at that. Because sovereign to me, sovereignty is where entitlement goes to die. Now, when we get to depravity, depravity is where self-righteousness goes to die. But with sovereignty, that's where entitlement goes to die. Now, this is nothing new. The way that people respond to this is nothing new because, again, if you read back through the Bible... You will see when the subjects of sovereignty came up people did not like it. And it seems to me that we are living in a society who embraces entitlement more and more. That is really one of the one of the sources of a lot of conflict you see in society as a whole is that everybody thinks they're entitled to something. And so it's hard to understand and embrace and submit to a sovereign—the uh, idea of a sovereign God—when we think we're owed everything. Right. Okay, so let's look just a little bit at what sovereignty means. I think, in my opinion, in Daniel, uh, Daniel the fourth chapter, and I'm going to read through some of these very quickly. So, uh, if I get ahead of you flipping, just bear with me. In Daniel the fourth chapter, I feel like, in my opinion that the great king of Babylon, who was great in a worldly sense, uh, the great king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, probably expressed what sovereignty means the best when you look at the scriptures. This is after he has suffered at uh, at the hand of God's judgment. And this is what Nebuchadnezzar says in Daniel, the fourth chapter in verse 35. And again, we're thinking about what does it mean to be sovereign? He says, and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he, meaning God, he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? A great explanation of sovereignty. This means that God will do what God wants to do, Nobody can stop him and nobody can stop him and say, what are you doing? This is a great picture of sovereignty. Now, when I thought about him, I thought about a man named who also believed in the sovereignty of God, a man whose name was uh, Gamaliel and Gamaliel was a Pharisee. The Bible tells us he was a doctor of the law. This is this is not in the world's eyes. This is not a nobody. This is a guy who has his head screwed on straight, very intelligent, understands the law, a Pharisee among the Pharisees. The situation you've got is Peter has been preaching, and Peter's preaching is causing a little bit of a stir, and the Pharisees do not like it. This is the, You find this in the, in the Acts, the fifth chapter. They do not like it, and they want to take Peter, and they basically want to kill him. And it says when they heard that, when they heard Peter's preaching, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them, Peter and the apostles. And it says, then stood up one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law and in reputation among all the people. And he commanded to put the apostles forth a little space. So Gamaliel comes up to this crowd who is wanting to slay Peter and the apostles. And it says he separates them. All right, apostles, y'all go over there guys, let's come over here, Pharisees, huddle up, let's talk. And he says, listen, and I'm going to halfway paraphrase here. He says, listen, do you not remember back in the day when a man named uh, Theudas was bragging about being somebody and he had gathered uh, 400 men together and they started this little, uh, you know, faction to rise up against us? Do you not remember that? What happened to him? He says, he was killed and all his followers were killed. He says, do you remember after that, there was another man named Judas of Galilee and in the days when people were taxing and he drew away many people after him, but he also perished. And he says, now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone. And he says, if this council or this work that Peter and all these apostles are doing, if it is of men, it's going to come to naught. It will fizzle out and fade. It'll have its season. But he says something very profound that points to the sovereignty of God. And he says, but if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it. That's the sovereignty of God. That's a man that understood it, that God will do according to his will. Do you know in the book of Ephesians, maybe we'll get to sometime or another. Do you know in the book of Ephesians in the first chapter when it talks about that uh, we were chosen before the foundation of the world? and that um, we were predestinated unto the adoption of children. Do you know what the motivating force was for all of those things? What What was the election and the predestination and the adoption? What were those things built upon? What motivated the Lord to do that? The Bible says it was according to the good pleasure of his will. He did it because it pleased him to do it. And the Bible tells us that he will do according to his will and none can stay his hand or sayest unto him what doest thou. Gamaliel understood that. That if the Lord is putting, if you'll forgive my very poor uh, way of saying this, if the Lord is putting the wind beneath the wings of Peter and the apostles, there's nothing you can do about it because he's sovereign. Now, you might be talking to somebody and they say, oh yeah, 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 I'm with you. I got you you know check check okay authority of god's word check sovereignty of god check all right erase your check and hold the phone because it goes deeper than that but if you do not understand the sovereignty of god you will never ever be willing to accept depravity and how the lord handled a depraved fallen creation now Let's go to Romans, the ninth chapter, one of the greatest chapters on the sovereignty of God. Can God do what he wants to, when he wants to, and how he wants to? Yes. Can we look at him and say, what are you doing? I don't like that. Or that's not fair. The Bible says no. Romans, the ninth chapter. Let's start in verse 11. For the children being not yet born, talking about, um, you go back and you can read earlier about Jacob and Esau. For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Did you hear the brakes screech to a stop? Hold the phone now. Now, I don't know if I can go there with you. Okay, well, didn't we agree that we were going to let God's word be the authority? And didn't we agree that God was a sovereign God and can do what he wants to? And we can't say, what are you doing, God. Says says, as is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Well, listen to this. This is what you're going to hear. Yeah, well, that just means that he loved Esau less. The point is still made. Can God love this one less than he loves this one? If he wants to. Can God hate this one and love this one? If he wants to. Now, I love the way that God's inspired word handles and knows what our emotion is going to be when we read something like this. That is not fair. God is not doing this the way he ought to do it. That's entitlement speaking. Don't miss that. That's the pride that motivates entitlement causing those emotions in us. That is not fair, God. What does the very next verse say? What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? See, God knew how we would respond. And Paul writes, Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. Now hold right here and watch this. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Now, God is God sovereign. Nebuchadnezzar thought he was. Gamaliel thought he was. The Word of God teaches us that he is. And we have no entitlement and right to look at God and stomp our foot and say, I don't like the way you've laid all this out. I do not like that you will show mercy to some and not to others. I do not like that you will show compassion to some. And compassion to others. Haven't you seen how 2023 goes? That everybody gets an equal piece of the pie. But that's not what the Bible teaches. That is cold and harsh, maybe, if I do that. But it's not cold and harsh if God does it, because I'm not sovereign. But God is. But yet, don't we still do the same? I love your children. But they won't be in my will. My children will be in my will. And your children will be in your will. Because it's yours to give to whom you want. And we don't fuss at each other for doing it that way. But yet, do we fuss at God? Because he has mercy on one and not the other. Compassion on one and not the other. Now we're starting to get a little bit tricky here, aren't we? Now we're starting to shift in our seats and the person that you're looking at discussing this with says, well, I, j- I just don't believe that. Well, let's back up to sermon number one. Are we going to let God's word be the authority or not? Because if we're not going to let God's word be the authority, then we just need to stop discussing it right now. Now, let me say this. You understand and you've got to be able to think through this. I'm not talking about arguing with people. Right. You will never argue anybody into really anything. But you sure aren't going to argue anybody into understanding the truth. This is spoken with humility and love. But if you can't systematically go through this, your own self, you may find trouble. God says, God's word says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It says, I will, uh, I loved Jacob and I hated Esau. And I can do that because I'm sovereign. Now, let's look just a little bit further here. Let's go to Luke, the fourth chapter. If you've still got them sitting there and they haven't jumped up and ran off screaming, take them to Luke, the fourth chapter. At a great example of the sovereignty of God. And again, look at the response. And I I hate to be this cold sounding about it, but if somebody jumps up and screams at you and kicks dirt on you and runs off, just say, well, that figures. Because that's how they acted in the Bible. He's talking to people, and this is what Jesus says. Luke, the fourth chapter, verse 23. He says, and he said unto them, ye will surely... Say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whosoever, whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. And he said, Verily I say unto you, No prophet is accepted in his own country. Do you see what they were asking him to do? We have heard what great miracles and healing of the sick and raising of the dead that you have done, Jesus, in a city called Capernaum we're asking you to do that here and jesus pretty directly says i did it there but i will not do it here i will show those sick people mercy and compassion but i will not deal any out here now how do you think that went over not well And again, you say, well, oh, what a cruel God. Listen, think of it like this. If I, I, now understand, I don't have a billion dollars. But if I walked into the bank and I said, here's a billion dollars. I want to start an account and put all of this money in this account. I want to wash my hands of it and I want to give it to that person right there. And maybe it's it's a friend of mine standing there. I say, I want to put a billion dollars in the bank for this. We turn around and walk out, and we stop by a convenience store on the way home, and I go buy an apple. And he says, hey, will you buy me an apple? I say, no, I'm not buying you an apple. Well, golly, you're so mean and cruel that you won't even buy me a simple apple. I just put a billion dollars in the bank for you. What God has done for us in eternity We never can say we got shortchanged. We can never say that we are not recipients of his mercy. You may not be a recipient of his mercy, as you'll see in a minute during a famine or when you have leprosy, and somebody else might. But all of God's people can say we have been 100% beneficiaries of his great mercy because what he did for us in eternity. But again, our entitlement says, yeah, but I want, him, I want him to help me get over my cold. I want him to help me get over the flu. I had something in my eye yesterday for about for two days. My eye, I couldn't get it. I couldn't get. It was scratched up and it was bothered. I just want him to fix my eye. Well, he didn't have mercy on me. I had to wait it out. That's entitlement. Jesus says, I'm going to do it there, but I'm not going to do it here. And if that didn't needle him enough, he goes a little further and says, let me tell you this. He says, I tell you of a truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land. And he says, but unto none of them was Elias sent, save unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. All these people are suffering due to this great famine. And he said, I didn't send Elias to all of them. I sent Elias to one of them. And he sustained her. I bestowed mercy to this one. But in this case, I didn't bestow it to all of them. And he says, And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisus, the prophet. And none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. You see, a lot of folks had leprosy in that day. And Jesus says, yeah, I had the power to heal all of them. But I only healed Naaman. And I didn't heal the rest of them. So, boom. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Because I am a sovereign God, I can do that. And I like what it says in Romans 9... What right does the clay have to say to the potter? Why am I like this? He says, yes, I did many miracles and I brought great relief to the city of Capernaum, but I won't do it here. I gave great relief to a widow woman during the times of a loss, but I didn't do it to all of them. I gave great relief to Naaman in the time of a but I didn't give great relief to all of them. Is there unrighteousness with God? Paul said, God forbid. But what was the response? Listen to this. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him unto the brow of the hill whereon their city was built that they might cast him down headlong. There's your response. Do you know another time that they tried to take Jesus and kill him? Is when he preached on the sovereignty of God. When he said, uh, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. You see, he didn't say, I'm a, uh, you know, it's not the journey song, open arms. I'm not standing here with a huge invitation. He says, the only way you get here is, as I, is if I draw you here. And they tried to kill him for it. He says, I'm doing these things over here, but I'm not doing them here. And they tried to kill him for it. Why? Because the pride of sinful man feels entitled and that God owes us something. And we do not like to have to submit to his authority. Let's back up now. When the great king Nebuchadnezzar says that, uh, you know, all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. Amen, amen. And, and he does according to his will in the armies of heaven and the armies of the earth. Amen, amen. And none can say unto him, what doest thou? He's going to do according to his will. Amen, amen, amen. Hey, let's talk about Capernaum and let's talk about the widow and let's talk about uh, Naaman and let's talk about Jacob and let's talk about Elisa, uh, uh, Esau and they'll say, wait just a minute. I don't know about all that. All right, well, listen, this is where I'm going with this. <clears throat> God is sovereign. All the inhabitants of the earth are all reputed as nothing. Yet he still chose a multitude no man can number of nothingness to make his family because it pleased him to do that. Now, the next time that I have an opportunity to talk to you about how to systematically go through talking to somebody about this, We're going to look at what the fall in the garden did to mankind. And it left them totally depraved. It left them spiritually dead without the ability to come to God on their own accord. Now, what is a sovereign God going to do with a mass of people that have fallen into spiritual deadness, how is a sovereign God going to handle that particular situation? You need to understand sovereignty to really understand how he handles a totally depraved fallen nation, creation. Now, as I systematically go through this, if you've got somebody that's, that's got enough in them and enough desire to sit there and listen and learn, I don't think I have told you anything this morning about the sovereignty of God that was outside the word of this book. Amen. I think I've been as scriptural with scriptural examples as I could possibly be. Can we submit to that? Amen. Because listen, if you can stomach the first part of the story, the further we go along, the sweeter it gets. Amen. It's a little bitter at the front because of our pride. But by the time you're at the end of this thing, if you can get somebody to hang with you, it is the sweetest story you will ever hear about. If you can stomach getting there. I hope that's been profitable to you. If you have questions about any of this and you need help explaining some of this, or if you're dealing with somebody, talk to Brother Tim or myself. Maybe we can help you. So you don't necessarily have to walk away from something you're excited about. But you're gonna know have to ha- gonna need to know how to do that. I hope that's been profitable, and uh, please pray as I continue through this, and as Brother Tim comes to preach.